You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Chris Claremont, recommending that you take a listen to Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to another episode of the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Tomb of Dracula, episode two, covering a period of Tomb of Dracula from 1974. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I am your Tomb of Dracula co-host, Josh Tan. This will be our discussion around the Tomb of Dracula Complete Collection, Volume 2. Uh, so it has a slightly different mapping than the Omnibus and the, the original Tomb of Dracula Classic Trades. So Josh, what are we talking about in this episode? All right, so uh, as with the first volume and future volumes, there's a lot packed into these, including the Dracula Lives black and white magazines of the time, which we've decided we're going to kind of wait till we get through all of the series proper before we cover all of those. So in terms of this particular volume, this episode is going to cover Tomb of Dracula issues 16 through 24, uh, Werewolf by Night number 15 with a crossover, and then Giant Size Spider-Man number one, Giant Size Chillers number one, and then that was renamed to Giant Size Dracula for issue two. So we definitely in the mid-70s of Marvel because we got all these giant size coming at us. <laughs> yeah. And th- <laughs> this volume also has a three-part crossover in the pages of Monster of Frankenstein, and we are not going to talk about those three issues here. They don't have anything really to do with the main story. Uh, we're going to save that for when we do Frankenstein episodes, and we'll we'll tie it into that. So really, that seems like a lot of content still. Uh, it's half of this book. This is a very thick Marvel trade, uh, 500 pages or so, and we're only going to be covering about 250 of these, what is it, maybe 280 of these pages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's about th- 13 issues or so. I mean, yep. these are these are epic collections in all but, you know, without the name. Uh, they don't They don't have the trade dress, but... They're kind of all-inclusive the way epics are, which is nice. Yeah, I love them. I think that they are fantastic. Uh, it's such a great reading experience. And man, when I started reading this volume, it was a, it's was a. it been a year because we talked about volume one last Halloween, and now we're at mm-hmm. this Halloween. I had to r- sort of remember a, thing, a couple of things that were going on in the, in the previous issues. But what I was reminded of right off the bat is, wow. What a what great storytelling this is, and and we just finished talking about all of those West Coast Avengers episode <laughs> issues in yes. our other episodes, and like w- they were enjoyable, but this is like you know a couple rungs above enjoyable. Like it's so good. It, it's it's true. The, one of the things that I I think it, it, probably a complete testament to Marv Wolfman and his style of writing is he is so good at having issues where we don't even look at the main cast. We just follow Dracula doing his thing, and then we'll cut back, and then we'll catch up with the crew of the vampire hunters that they have here. 
and it's all very interesting. It's very soap opera, which is always, you know, the, the draw. Um, but he, he definitely throws in some interesting uh, other stuff that you're just, you know, some of it's quite shocking, actually. Your jaw drops when you're reading it. One of the things that I noted in the, or both of us noted, I think, in the previous episode was that uh, a lot of the issues centered around ordinary people who encounter Dracula. And mm-hmm. they it tells their story, it gives some of their back history, and then something, usually a brutal murder happens because of Dracula. And he just kind of comes in and then he goes. And the story's not even about Dracula per se, it's about these people. And... In mm-hmm. this volume, there's a little bit of that, but we kind of actually get away from that formula a little bit, and it focuses more on kind of Dracula's survival. The, the, mm-hmm. he, it's it's him, and we find out a little bit about how he has to cope day to day. You know, having to find a place to rest at night or during the daytime, and and being pursued by all of these people. It deals a lot with that, and then it switches focus again toward the end of the issues that we're going to talk about here and kind of gets back to that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, talking about other people's stories. So, like you said, he keeps it fresh. He It's a good balance. We spend some time talking about these guys and then spend some time talking about those guys, and it's it's cool how he can really balance all of that into very manageable space. Right. And I think one of the other things that is a draw for this and a reason why this series itself has kind of stood the test of time where, you know, it's considered a classic, um, a classic run of, of issues is you're taking something that's kind of been done uh, a billion different ways. You know, this whole concept of Dracula, I mean, yes, we're still talking, you know, mid early mid seventies. So it's maybe not as everywhere as it, it has since been, but you, you well. take something that, well, there, there, I mean, there was a lot, you know, with uh, the monster craze of the 60s and everything else. Well, we're talking about a book that's, you know, 200 years old, right? So we're, this is... Um, right, this, that's true. This yeah. is a concept that's been around for a long, long, long time. And like the Universal monster movies of the 1930s, we're ta- sure. the, the hammer horror films of the 70s are really popular right now. And it's like, this Dracula's been around for a long time. Well, right, and and what I was saying is to find something new to do with the character or do with the concept. That's yeah. always the you know that's always the key that you want to do with these things. You know, Frankenstein. He's been you know, or I should say, Frankenstein's monster. He's been done a hundred different ways, but it's always interesting when you see a new take. And this is very much a classic take of Dracula. However, it's the surrounding and and everything his his supporting cast, his world within nineteen seventies society that gives it that different take on it um and and i think that's what's so refreshing to keep you going because you know marv wolfman creates you know humans that end up being his enemies and comes up with super villains for him to fight even though he's still the bad guy it's very yeah. interesting stuff it is that you and it's because it's so serialized as comics tend to be um i think that instantly offers you okay i gotta figure out how to keep this going where it's interesting and it's not just Dracula, you know, sucking people's blood. Right. So uh, I think he does a phenomenal job with it. He sure yeah, does. Clearly, because it, it lasted, what, 70 issues or so? Yep. Uh, yeah, way longer than any of the other monster books that they were doing at the time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I asked a bunch of people on social media to give me some comments about this particular volume, Volume 2. And I got a lot of comments from people saying, what an awesome book, Tomb of Dracula is the best, but nothing specific about this volume. So mm-hmm. I think we're going to pass over those comments since it doesn't have anything that's, that rings incredibly uh, important to our conversation here, other than 
this title is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so that means we can go straight on to our conversation about the issues. All right. First up is issue number 16. It's called Return from the Grave. This is an odd story. It's like pure kind of Marvel horror. I, I love it. This skeleton is killing people. And uh, the detective that's on the case, Detective Chelm, he's uh, blaming Dracula for it. I, I love it. This is just a, such an intricate story because it goes in a completely different place than you think it's going to go. Like, I... I thought it was going to be like a Scooby-Doo. There's a man behind the mask, pull off the mask, and there's the guy. Yes. But it's actually about a cursed grave and somebody, like a body that was um, exhumed and somebody else was buried there, but then the other body is like out for revenge and stuff. Like there's all this kind of stuff. It, that's, it's just weird mm -hmm. and creepy and brilliant. And the artwork uh, from Gene Colan and Tom Palmer really, really accentuate how awesome this issue is. I loved it. Yeah, this is possibly my favorite in the whole thing of of what we had to read for this. Yeah, um, it, it's so well done. It's a it's kind of a done in one story. Um, like you said, some of the some of the imagery in here is genuinely uh, disturbing. Um, uh, page seventeen uh, in the complete collection that fi that final panel with uh, yeah. the corpse of Paul Bear and the the note do not bury him again that's very very creepy stuff i love it yeah. um and, and that zipatone shadow behind him from the, what looks like window panes light coming it's so moody and and well done um this whole story almost felt like a like a tales from the crypt like a classic 50s tales from the crypt story just with dracula kind of also in it <laughs> that's what i felt too definitely like an ec yeah. comics kind of a feel Yes. Uh, except longer and more expanded because EC really, really focused on the short stories, and this one's a full length, mm -hmm. a full length thing. But yeah, just the 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 way Dracula conducts himself through this process, like he's playing detective along with everybody else. Yes, and it's a it's a thing that you don't normally see because the way that Dracula has been portrayed so far has usually been um, either I'm above this. And it it's just wasting my time, so I don't care to figure out the mystery. Or mm -hmm. I'm I've been around for so long, I'm so old that I know everything, and I True. don't. So, but this is like Dracula's facing a mystery that he doesn't know anything about, and he wants to he wants to solve it. He he's curious about it, and uh, it's just a it's really interesting the way that they write him in this one. Um, agreed. Uh, the the final panel on page eleven. This seems a little too brutal for, I know the comics code authority got a little more lenient in the seventies, but man, uh, this corpse is crushing this guy's head and you see, you know, stuff flying off. I mean, that's crazy. It seems like they totally missed that. Yeah. But the thing's uh, hand shoots out and bone and cartilage crumble under yeah. its grasp. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so good. I, and I'm just so, I was surprised. I'm like, you know, the, the Comics Code Authority is still approving these comics, so I'm like, man, I, I don't know if they – maybe somebody's thumb was over that panel at the time and they just missed that. Maybe I should put in a little clip here from uh, Jerry Conway who actually talks a little bit about the Comic Code during this monster era. Oh, okay. 
Well, the comic code is was always uh, a really strange and inconsistent and contradictory series of uh, interpretations by the the different people who headed the code. Theoretically, the code the, the premise of the code was to uh, prevent the publication of books that were designed to terrorize kids and to give them nightmares, uh, you know, and also to stop encouraging crime and, uh, you know, teenage uh, juvenile delinquency and all that nonsense. So prior to the early 70s, uh, the the major companies were all 100% in on producing code books. And then Stan broke the code. (laughs) Stan Lee broke the code. (laughs) Right by producing a issue of Spider-Man at the request of the uh, government, the the Nixon administration asked uh, both companies to produce anti-drug issues of uh, one of their comics. And Stan very, you know, uh, compliantly and and, uh, honestly did what uh, he could. Uh, He did a Spider-Man comic that, you know, featured a drug issue for with Harry Osborn and the code refused to allow it to go into production uh, or allow it to have the code symbol. And Stan was uh, he he felt that this was was nonsense. A, I mean, it's something where the government specifically asked for it. Uh, And B, he also kind of Stan was a a very, uh, uh, for all his, his many faults, but was also a very dedicated guide to doing what he felt was right. And he felt it was right to do this book. And he convinced Martin Goodman, uh, the publisher, uh, that it was right to do this book. And so they published it without the code, uh, without the symbol. Right. And surprise, surprise, the world did not collapse. (laughs) (laughs) And in fact, the book sold just fine. And uh, the code was revealed to have no real authority. Ah. So at that point, the people who ran the code and the, and the various uh, companies that uh, contributed to financing the code sat down and decided, okay, we have to address the, the elephant in the room here, which is that the code is out of step with what modern readership expects. So they retranslated you know, and readapted the code. Denny O'Neill made a comment at the time uh, about the absurdity of the code. He said, uh, according to the comics code, uh, you cannot have a zombie, but you can have a ghoul. And so he said, you can't have the walking dead, but as soon as they sit down, you can eat them. (laughs) 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 Because, of course, a zombie is a walking dead and the ghoul eats the dead. That's so so funny. (laughs) (laughs) So the code was so so ridiculous and and so inconsistent that uh, they recognized they had to change things. Uh, in fact, we we had the we were already publishing some books uh, that were reprints of earlier Marvel titles, and these were books that had been published under the code horror books. Uh, you know, from the from the era when Marvel was producing, uh, you know, the early Strange Adventure, Strange Tales, and uh, Tales of Suspense. Right. Yep. And and we, when we would republish them, the code would would disapprove them. And we'd be like, <laughs> wait a minute, <laughs> these had already been published. Yeah. How can you disapprove them? Oh, boy. (laughs) So it was just, it was a mess. And uh, basically from from the time that Stan published that Spider-Man to several years later when the the code was officially dropped, uh, the code really ceased to have any real impact on what the individual publishers were doing. Uh, It became a a rubber stamp uh, from that point on. Yeah. 
and people would just do it out of obligation or because of tradition? Yeah, yeah. well, you know, as creators, we felt responsible for doing what we thought was appropriate for the readership that we imagined that we were reaching. Uh, and at that time, the comic book readership was primarily a, a, a younger readership. You know, it wasn't an adult readership as it is today. Readers were on average between 10 and 13 years old. So, you know, you didn't really want to do do anything that was, you know, too extreme. Right. So uh, when we finally started doing monster comics, we did them kind of like the, you know, the, the attitude was to, to sort of reach the level of scariness, if you want to say scariness, of the old universal monster movies, which all of us had watched, you know, on TV growing up. Yes. And it wasn't, those were not like terribly frightful films. They were, they were more uh, juvenilia in a lot of ways than mm -hmm. really scary. Although I did have nightmares about, you know, <laughs> you know Frankenstein when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it wasn't, you know, wasn't the same as you would have today, you know, watching uh, something like uh, Hostel or, uh, you know, any, any Eli oh, Roth. Picture. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even in some of these other issues, there's some stuff in there where you, you're surprised that it's in a, a regular comic uh, that a kid could pick up, but it's also Tuma Dracula. I mean, it's gonna, it's got to kind of have some of that stuff. There's one panel in uh, the Chris Claremont issue that later on that I want to bring up as an example. Okay. Of this. So <laughs> when we get to that, uh, if yes. you remember, I'll try and remember as well. Okay. <laughs> um, I did also want to just make a quick mention that we, we're getting that that subplot about Doctor Sun. Yes. Um, that yep. continues in this, and I know it was in the few issues prior as well in the last volume. Um, and it's obviously a really that's, slow burn. It is. Pardon the pun, you know, with Doctor Sun. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's um, yeah, that's definitely it, we're leading up to it, and um, I, I think I think it's a pretty decent payoff when we get there. But it's it's very yeah, very slow. But I like it that way. I think it's it yeah. builds that intrigue. Like, what is going on with this guy? Um, and as per usual, I do try to keep my kill count per issue, just because these issues seem to have more of that and this issue had four kills in it by dracula specifically right um i'm just putting in general because oh, the, okay. the corpse the corpse kills a couple um yeah. i i don't i actually don't have it delineated down to just dracula it's more just the kind of the brutal nature of these stories okay i see yeah um so what are we at do you have a running total or do you have the total at the end um the last our last kill count for the last volume, we had about 28, which included vampires, and we saw Dracula die twice, actually. <laughs> so <laughs> right. we had about 30 deaths in the last one, and I'm pretty sure we are over that in this volume, but we'll we'll count it all up at the end. Okay. okay. Well, I actually have it all counted up, but... Uh, we don't want to spoil it. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So Tomb of Dracula number 17, uh, this is called Death Rides the Rails. And uh, we get a, a brief run-in with Blade where Dracula escapes the vampire hunters. Uh, he gets to a train that's actually headed for Transylvania. Uh, Frank, Drake, and Rachel, they're also on the train. And then there's also two other men on the train who are escaping from Dr. Sun. So we kind of got a bunch of different moving parts uh, going on with just this train. And I think the, the, the setting of the train with a lot of classic cinema as well, it just there's always a kind of a sense of paranoia or the walls are closing in because there's only so many places you can go on a train 
And I think that kind of subtly runs in the background as you read this story. And I think it works really well. You are absolutely right. And I recently watched uh, the the old Hitchcock movie, Strangers on a Train. Okay, yep, yep. And it is is like this. It's just really, really great. Um, I mean, not that... That story actually doesn't take place on a train for most of the movie, so maybe it's a bad example, actually. But, um, but yeah, like Murder on the Orient Express and all this kind of stuff. And I just watched the Snowpiercer uh, yep. TV series on Netflix. What an amazing oh, okay. show yeah. that is! And I've, yeah, I haven't uh, haven't watched the show. I watched the movie with Chris Evans. I thought that was pretty good. The movie's great too, and the the in fact the comics are great as well. Like it's all just such a great concept, and each medium sure. that it's been in, I've really enjoyed. Uh, but oh, yeah, good. you get that whole claustrophobia paranoia like it, those are always the themes and you can tell in the artwork here uh, when Gene Colan draws these scenes it's almost exclusively close-ups yes and that is to really show how packed things are because there's there is call. there's yeah. no room for the camera to go out so he really pretty much through the entire thing it's just like close-ups of people's faces or like if it is a wide shot there's like if you look on page 41 uh, you can mm-hmm. see at the top uh, that guy who's stealing from Dr. Sun is there and, it's, and that's a wide shot but mm-hmm. Dracula is in the foreground and that really closes in yes. the panel so that it's like it takes up pretty much half the panel so that when you focus in on this character here with the briefcase, um, it's it's way more cramped. That's a, that's a really good call. Yeah, I, I didn't pick up on that reading it, paying, but that would make sense because, like I said, as you read this, you do feel yeah. cramped. And it's it's got to be, I mean, Gene Colan, master storyteller uh, with, with uh, you know, graphic storyteller. I mean, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, he does a really good job with this. It's it's quite excellent. Uh, this is another solid issue from start to finish. I loved it. Yes. I, I love the how everybody thinks somebody else is responsible for something. Like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> the these two guys on the train who's stealing from Doctor Sun, they're they think that people are out to get them, and they think that Frank and Rachel are the ones who are out to get them, and then Dracula mm-hmm. thinks that they they've been hired by by Harkness to uh to to kill him and like there's all of this like miscommunication and misunderstanding through all of the players but it all fits together so well <laughs> and what's crazy is the 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 issue starts before we even get to the train we get the return of blade he and it's funny because we get a little uh, editor's note note from Roy that says uh, you didn't miss anything, Fang fans. It happened in between issues. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. I just thought that was funny because you know this stuff just keeps on chugging along in between issues. And I just think it's kind of funny. But, Actually, uh, that's a good point though because in between the issues, uh, the the team of vampire hunters here have destroyed all of Dracula's coffins, and that's actually a plot point that is going to be important throughout the next several issues as Dracula needs to find a place to roost for the for the daytime. That's right, because he needs Transylvania's soil in the yeah. bottom of that. That's why he needs a specific place to rest. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I, I forgot about that. You're right. Um, and, and so they kind of got him on the run and kind of uh, almost bottlenecking him a bit. Yeah, totally. And it happened between issues. It's interesting that they decided to. Yeah. like, you know what? <laughs> that We don't need to see that happening. Let's just say that it happened yeah. and get on with the story. And I think I actually kind of appreciate that. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with it. With this, with this fight with Blade, it ends 
in kind of a crazy cliffhanger, Dracula bites him full on. Yeah. Uh, you see the, the fang marks in his neck, and, and he's left for dead. And we don't really get confirmation exactly what the outcome of this is right away either. Um, it's it's kind of a <laughs> one of your main characters in the book possibly left for dead. It's pretty crazy. And I can imagine that people at the time may be thinking that Blade's going to turn into a vampire now, especially because, you know, his mom was bitten by a vampire. So he right. already got the vampire blood in him and stuff like that. So, yeah, he, his time is done. He's going to you know, turn on his team or whatever. Like I can, I can just imagine people at the time just wondering what's going to happen with it, with with Blade. It's very cool. Mm-hmm. It is. Uh, I, I agree. And it's so, you know, this Blade is so very different. Uh, from the Wesley Snipes version, which I know we kind of did a warning <laughs> in the first episode about that. Uh, it is not the blade you're used to if you're used to the movies, but it's a blade that tr- definitely fits within these stories. And he's a he's a compelling character. He's kind of like a Wolverine, like a loner. Um, you know, he he works with the team as long as he has to, and he goes off and does his own thing. He's he's a great character. I actually grown to really like him. You know, green goggles and all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, there's one more person on this train that we didn't mention. Uh, yes. It's a Jack Russell, and he is, of course, if you know your Marvel monster history, uh, Jack Russell is werewolf by night, and he's on this train at the same time, but their paths don't cross. Like, he doesn't have anything to do with the other stuff that's going on in this story, but he's right. on his way to Transylvania as well. For completely other reasonings, which... Yep. Readers of Werewolf by Night would know uh, it's literally just one panel in this, um, and it's it's a great setup for you know what's hap- what's going to happen next. But uh, I I also think that's a that's a page right out of you know Stan and Jack. You know that's what they did all the time. It's like oh let's throw one of our other characters in a couple panels and, and tease move on. The future, yep, yep. It's great, and so that leads us into Tomb of Dracula number 18. It's called Enter Werewolf by Night. Jack and this other character called Topaz, whom, if you've been reading Tomb of Dracula, uh, they kind of hooked up just in a a few issues before this at a circus. And they are are traveling to Transylvania because they're following some clues about Jack's curse. He thinks that he's going to find some answers about his werewolf curse uh, somewhere in Transylvania. And of course, what is in Transylvania? Well, (laughs) Castle Dracula. (laughs) That's where the path leads. Yes. Uh, and I, I think that this is an interesting story because I wasn't expecting that that it would be so important to Werewolf by Night's history. Uh, actually, the the big reveal comes in the next issue, so we'll save that for the next issue. Um, okay. But in, in this one, Marv Wolfman, because he's writing both titles, has a really good grasp on both characters. It, it's, it doesn't feel like one character is being shoehorned into a story. Um, or the other, or the the other way around. Like it's, they both do have a good purpose here, and this issue is basically telling the story on how, uh, like bringing them together. It's taking its time, uh, and it's only at the very end of this issue that Dracula and Werewolf meet and face off and leave us on a cliffhanger that goes into the next issue. This um th- this issue and what's fun about you know it's it's basically a two parter because we have this and then we have the follow up which is in Werewolf by Night. Yep. It, I, I'm a fan of the old Universal uh, horror collection. You know, you had Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. You had um, House of Dracula, House of Frankenstein, where you get the monsters that all are in the same movie. Yeah. And this 
this is awesome. I, I, I wish, honestly, that Marvel did more of this with their cast of, of monsters um, just to just to really kind of create that vibe because this this was a lot of fun seeing. I mean, it's always fun. You're seeing a werewolf and a vampire fight. I mean, what's not to love about that? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> totally. <laughs> There's just something about that. It's just always cool. Um, what I wanted to say about this was on um, – well, talking about Dracula Lives, the black and white magazine – Issue two and issue four of that are both referenced in this issue. So there are, because there's a lot of Dracula's origin told in those black and white magazines. So I'm curious if people buying this off the stands, you know, in 1974 were like, oh man, I got to get those magazines, but my mom won't let me or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because they're too mature. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, you know, maybe my older brother will get it instead. Um, but, uh, on page 47, we just get a tiniest little bit of a follow-up to what happened to Blade in the last issue. Harker, uh, actually rolls up on him, sees him that he, that he's dead. He actually takes his blade out of his, I think it's out of his cane and he's about ready to, to stab him through the heart. And then we cut scene and we go back to following Jack Russell. So again, one of our main characters and it's like, Oh, just a little tease and we're moving on. It's, it's kind of cool. The timeline, uh, I don't know that that checks out exactly. Like, how long was he laying there while the you know the train had to come to its station? True. And um, yeah, I mean, it probably isn't exactly sequentially, but the little jumping back to that, but it it's still not a main focal point in any way right. at this point. We just know one of our characters <laughs> was left for dead by Dracula. It's um, you know, we still, you know, readers of this won't know what the heck is going on with that. Yeah. Um, I really liked talking about Gene Colan. Page 56, the uh, Jack and Topaz are down in the, this uh, looking out to Castle Dracula from this kind of, I don't know what you'd call it, like a sub-basement dugout cellar area. Yeah, something like that. Uh, and just the effect of seeing it in the background. And again, it, it, there's no hard lines inked there. It just seems like it's zipatone and, and color, but it gives it that vibe that it's in the, in the, uh, the far distance and yep. it's kind of fuzzy. I love that. That's just such a cool effect. Yeah. It, it's, it's very effective. And I wish that, uh, they could employ that a little bit more just to create a larger depth of field, but, uh, it's right. probably time consuming to, to think, I imagine. To think that way. <laughs> right. Um, and then, of course, pages 60 and 61, we get this awesome two-page spread of Dracula and werewolf, the werewolf fighting. And I don't know, you, you see it's just six vertical long panels uh, all together. And you see these great, like, images of their shadows fighting. And then you your eye scans down and you see the actual characters battling it out it's really well done yeah i was going to point out the composition there too like you said your eye starts at the top with the shadows and goes down for every one of them and if you take a step back and just look try and look at this two-page spread as a whole and it's really like the bottom half of it is all of where all the action is and the upper part is where all of the mm -hmm. shadows are and then dracula throws the werewolf to the top half of the screen or to the top half of the panel in that second to last mm -hmm. panel there and breaks the the pattern that Gene Colan had established in the first four panels. And then, mm -hmm. and in the last panel, Dracula himself then moves to the top of the panel in order to attack the werewolf again. So it's kind of neat just the progression on how, it is. how the flow of these characters uh, is, is shown here. It's really neat. The when, Whenever an artist can force the reader 
to not just look at six panels laid out like a normal page when you know sometimes this can get off-putting because sometimes they do too much but i mean again this guy was a master at graphic storytelling he knew exactly what you were going to do when you read this um and it just it's so effective i i you don't i don't know you just don't see stuff like this that often it's really really well done yep definitely uh ending with this issue we're going to start to see a change in Tom Palmer's inking style. In fact, it starts a little bit in this issue. Uh, if we, if you think about the specific panel that you pointed out in issue 16 with the, the corpse with the little sign mm-hmm. saying, don't bury him again, and mm-hmm. all of the intricate fine line detail that is in that panel, bringing out the features of his face, that's because of Tom Palmer. Because Gene Colan is a much more general penciler in yes. terms of his details. He'll, he'll, he relies a lot more on shadows and more open spaces rather than, than the fine details. Uh, bringing right. the two of them together, you don't notice that because Tom adds that into the artwork when he inks it. But we're going to see a shift now where I think that Tom is trying to represent Gene Colan's pencils a little bit more authentically now. Uh, so it's still Tom Palmer inking, but we're going to see, I think, more of Gene Colan's influences in the in the ways the shadows work and in the way the backgrounds um, the backgrounds are and all this kind of stuff. So that starts happening in this issue here. That and that makes sense. I mean, if you ever, I'm sure you have looked at Gene Colan's just pencils. Uh, yeah, he's very sweeping, very much about movements. Yeah. Um, which a lot of times with the way he portrays movement, you don't need the detail because you're you're trying to evoke that feeling. I've always said it, it, it he's got to be a really tough penciler to ink. Yeah. And you know Tom Palmer again, he does a, does a great job, and other guys have done great jobs too. Um, like some of his Daredevil work, um, even in like in the '60s, man, some of it is just like, oh, how do you ink this? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. And that's why I think Tom Palmer, uh, in these early issues, put so much of himself into it because, you know, uh, it wasn't, I don't know if I, I wouldn't say it's not satisfying for him to, to ink Gene Colan's pencils, but it was just maybe there was something right. lacking or he felt that he needed to fill it in. But we are going, we are seeing a change now. So keep your eye open for the artwork in these next few issues. All right. All right, so we are now going to Werewolf by Night number 15. This is the second part of this crossover with uh, that we just talked about. Uh, so it shifts over to, to the Werewolf's book. Both of them are cover dated the same, so they must have hit stands around the same time. Um, this one's called Death of a Monster, which you know isn't exactly a spoiler, but <laughs> uh, basically the the last issue ended with this battle between the monsters. While it's it's broken up by Topaz, she has mental powers. Is it straight? Is it is it telekinesis or tel- telepathy? Basically, mind control. She's able to do. That would uh, well. Telekinesis is moving objects, so mind right. control would be telepathy, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Um, and she she is able to break it up using that. Um, we then see cut back to Frank Drake and Rachel uh, Van Helsing. They continue their hunt for Dracula uh, using a helicopter. And Jack Russell, he's reading how his family's werewolf curse started, uh, which apparently started with his great, great, great grandfather. So that was part of his reason for even going to Transylvania was to, and I imagine the first part of his book to begin with, uh, was to figure out not only how this started and and how to, to cure this. 
We get another fight between Dracula and Werewolf. Apparently Dracula wants that book because that book will have stuff in there that would be bad if other people knew about it in terms of, of being able to defeat Dracula. Am I reading that properly? Yeah, it has some spells in there or something like that. Uh, they don't make big mention about what specifically it is, and Dracula has never right. mentioned this book before. Um, so it's just kind <laughs> of out of nowhere. The, it's not the Darkhold, which nope. is a totally separate uh, Marvel mysticism book. Uh, it's just almost like a journal, but it has other info. Uh, regardless, at the end of this, Rachel takes that, and she gets in the helicopter, and she leaves. So uh, there's still something going on there with the with the book. It's it, it hasn't been you know that hasn't been resolved yet. I have to say this cover is phenomenal. If this is straight up Mike Plug, who was uh, the artist for the interiors and on Werewolf by Night at the time, the the amount of texture he puts. You have uh, for our listeners, you have Dracula and the werewolf fighting on top of a of a castle. They're kind of balancing on some gargoyles. And you get to just see the different uh, textures of the stone and the the crumbling. And you see, like, in the background, the way that they did shading on the rock work and everything. It's just awesome. Yeah, it really is. And it doesn't come across in the issue as well as it does on this cover. Um, right. I, I think just because of the difference of inkers. I'm pretty sure Plug must have inked this himself. He, That's what I'm thinking. He does a lot of his own inking in the early issues of Werewolf by Night, and it looks a lot like this. Yeah, and the the fur on, on the Werewolf, he, he does such a great job, not only on the cover, but something I noticed throughout uh, how he really makes him... You could almost see the musculature of the Werewolf moving underneath the fur the way an actual animal would be designed. It's, mm. it's it's such a subtle effect, and he does it so well. Plug also does a really good job of mimicking Gene Colan's Dracula. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I don't like about Plug's art is that I find that Frank and Rachel yes. look pretty much exactly the same <laughs> as Jack and Topaz, like exactly I the same. Exactly, exactly <laughs> the same thing, because... There was a couple times I'm like, wait, who are these people? Yeah, which I had to, are, I had to check too. <laughs> <laughs> that might not entirely be his fault, though. That that might be because Colin drew them his way, and then, you know, Plug drew his characters similar almost, you know, on accident, and now they're all in the same book together. Yeah, and they're just standard-looking <laughs> Caucasian, European Caucasian guys. Yeah. Like, uh, and girls with blonde hair and yeah. <laughs> the, even the same hair tones. I guess Topaz's hair is a little lighter than Rachel's, but Jack and Frank have the yeah. exact same color hair. <laughs> right. I mean, they do make it a point in the last issue, in the last couple issues, whenever we've seen Rachel, for the most part, we're always seeing her with that scar on her face that she got uh, a, a you know, number of issues ago uh, when Dracula as a bat scraped up her face. And I like that we keep seeing that, and I've been trying to pay attention throughout her appearances. To, and sometimes it's there, and sometimes it isn't. And it might go, it might come down to just the inker, whether or not he remembers to draw that. Right. Uh, the, the, but I, I like that. That's a nice continuity touch that consistently keeps going. Uh, but sometimes, like I said, her face looks fine, and there isn't a, there isn't a scar. Um, I like how this issue ends because it's it's really kind of a Dracula story, and it's still to be continued. In the pages of Dracula, but the werewolf is no longer involved. Like, they've concluded the werewolf part of it. So if you are a Werewolf by Night subscriber, you don't have to necessarily move on to the next issue. Um, But for those of you who are Tomb of Dracula stuff, like, the story continues on. 
Uh, it makes sense for this whole crossover to be contained in this book because mm-hmm. if you left out this issue, there'd be a big chunk of like, why is there an airplane? How did they crash in the mountain here? And all yep. of this kind of stuff. Real quick, before we jump to the next issue, I did want to say Frank has a phenomenal line uh, in this issue on page 70. Uh, they're in the helicopter. He's in the helicopter with Rachel and he goes, uh, one more inch and that'd be all she wrote. You know, Rachel, sometimes I think I'd like a less dangerous job than hunting vampires. Yeah, maybe something like a dynamite juggler. <laughs> uh, just, it's, it's, it's funny. It's, it's, I don't know. It's good. It's a good line. That is a good line. Okay, moving on to Tomb of Dracula number 19, Snowbound in Hell. (laughs) Uh, Not really hell, it's metaphorical hell because Rachel is now trapped in the snow with Dracula, her known nemesis, her arch nemesis, and he is keeping her alive because he needs emergency food just in case he can't find anything else. Uh, It's the only reason. And we saw him do this before with Taj when they were in another dimension. He kept Taj from being killed by demons so that he would have a food source if he needed it. Uh, He's doing the same thing here. Now, a lot of stuff happens between the issue here as well, like we saw in that other issue, except they give us a flashback about the helicopter careening out of control and Dracula and Rachel crashing. She's broken her leg or her ankle or something. And uh, and they are kind of dependent on each other now for survival. And this is what I was talking about when I was saying that the, the shift in Dracula's purpose kind of shifts in these issues here. And because they've destroyed his coffins, he's had to survive that. And now he's in the middle of the snow and he has to survive this. Uh, and so now it's Dracula kind of not um, not entering people's lives in order to kill him, but now the focus is more on his life and how the events are affecting him. Right. I really like stories in general that have to do – it flips things on its head when you have, like you said, mortal enemies who have to figure out a way to get along because they have some, they have some sort of mutual um, – you know, whether it's survival or a, a, a reason to team up and it's like that tentative truce. Yeah. Uh, I always love stories like that because you get sides of both the characters that you normally don't get. Um, and this was, this was a great one because we know their history so much at this point, you know, this is issue 19, but it, it, there's parts of this that you have to wonder, you know, is Dracula being sincere? Like, cause he keeps in his inner monologue, keeps saying, Oh, I, I'm definitely going to kill her. But does you know does he does he have a soft spot for her? It's hard to really figure that part of it out. Yeah. And I don't I don't think it's supposed to be laid out for you because it's supposed to keep you kind of guessing. And you're reminded that Dracula once upon a time was human, and just like with Doctor Doom, you know the ultimate supervillain, you know Dracula has that human side. He has the ability to care, um, even for this this woman who has you know even in this issue, tries to kill him. (laughs) I think one of the things that we'll see when we start reading those Dracula Lives issues is his loss of humanity. And because those stories all take place in the past hundred years of his life or whatever, uh, being a vampire, and and he grows attached to somebody and then loses them because they die or he Mm -hmm. has to kill them because of his hunger or whatever. And at this point, I think he tries to keep all relationships at arm's length he probably does, you know, care for Rachel or or not want to kill her in some way, but he hides behind this facade of, 
you know, you know, I'm not killing you because I need the food <laughs> kind of a thing. Right. Um, we did get, uh, we, we, we got to cut back to the storyline with Blade. We went, uh, you know, we, we, it's been a little while since we, cause we had the werewolf by night issue. Uh, Blade is okay. This is where he discovers he's actually immune to vampire bites. So one of the side effects of him being born while his mother was being bitten is an immunity transferred to him so that, you know, he He's he's fine. He's he, he's upset, obviously. But um, so that's kind of how that played itself out. Yeah, and it's just one, uh, two pages that we get, and it's interesting to me the way Gene draws these ones as well. So mm-hmm. the bigger the panel, usually is the greater importance in the story, right? Right. Uh, they save the big splash panels for big reveals or you know that kind of thing. So the splash page is always the uh, the very first page of of the issue is a splash page because it's setting the story it's important to establish the characters and the setting and such um the second biggest panel in this issue is this one where harker is about to stab blade mm-hmm. and i love the just the the upward shot like we're seeing it from blade's perspective Yes. And uh, and it, and it's like it's a very dramatic shot, and this is important because then the hand reaches up in the next one, it it throws everything off. Everybody who was thinking that this guy is now a vampire, they're all wrong. And the third biggest panel in this issue is we flip the page here, and Bl- it's Blade and Harker talking, and he's holding his neck as if he's like you know his neck is sore because he got bit and whatever. Um, so I like the I like the emphasis because uh, Marv is is working Marvel style here. He's giving Gene the ability to lay this out the way he wants, and so of course Gene sees that th- as this as the most important part of this issue mm-hmm. here. Um, yeah, the the sequence is great, and it's it's a little uh, revelation for both the the character Blade, but then the readers as well. Be like, oh wow, cool! So he's fighting vampires, and their bites have no effect on him. That's probably a good thing to have in that in that battle. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I think this is a it's a interesting change to his character because before now he was kind of just a person, but now he's essentially a superhero. I guess now. <laughs> right. Right. Um, before we move on, we have to talk about these goats. <laughs> yeah. These, these, <laughs> so they're 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 obviously they're they're on the Transylvanian Alps, uh, Dracula and Rachel, and there's these goats that are on the Alps as well. Apparently, these are probably wild mountain goats that live there. And um, at one point, Dracula drinks blood from one of the goats and kills it, and then uses that meat to cook to to feed to Rachel, which is a nice moment. Um, I thought it was funny how he's basically a goat sucker, which is the chupacabra, uh, the legendary (laughs) monster from Puerto Rican mythology. So I thought that was cool. But at the end of the story, and I guess, you know, spoiler, but there's a goat that attacks Dracula, and the narration says he's doing it out of hunger. Uh, what the hell kind of goat is attacking a you know what he thinks is a human to eat? Goats don't eat people. <laughs> well, I wonder if the um, I wonder if this goat was a vampire goat. <laughs> Did was don't there? A, think it's a vampire. Where is there? Was there a, a point? Goat. Oh, it's a different goat. Yeah, because that's right. Because the one he sucked earlier was um, he turned into <laughs> dinner. Yeah, I don't right. know. I have no idea. <laughs> So this goat's just like, well, I'm going to eat this vampire. Like, what What that? What kind of goat does that? 
Well, the Transylvanian goat. So what do we know? Maybe there's a, I want a prequel story, six issue miniseries about this goat. Cause I need to know. Totally. I also thought, <laughs> I also enjoyed the little touch of Dracula when he sucked the blood of the goat. He hated the taste. Like it doesn't yes. taste like human blood and the human blood is so sweet and succulent or whatever. Yeah. Um, that was it's a, a cool nice touch. touch. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. What does he say here? He goes, uh, he goes, the taste is bitter and wretched. Yet still I feel strength again flow through my bones. But never, never again do I want to feed on a beast non-human. Yeah. So he even refers to humans as beasts. That's, I don't know. It's it's cool. It's definitely good stuff. Later on, he'll suck the blood of a recently deceased corpse. And he'll say that, that it tastes yes. rancid, like it's already gone sour. <laughs> like it's like a, a jug of milk or something like that, right? <laughs> yeah. It's it's disturbing stuff. It's very cool. Yep. All right. So Tomb of Dracula number 20. Um, this is called The Coming of Dr. Sun. So we're finally getting some culmination with a lot of these subplots dealing with this mysterious Dr. Sun and his either his experiments with vampires or his, you know, following Dracula and, and surveilling Dracula. This is all starting to come to a head now. Actually, yeah, that's something we haven't mentioned in the last few issues is that uh, uh, Dr. Sun has captured a, a vampire from that old story uh, previously with the guy in the iron lung, and there's the, the vampire that kills him. He caught that vampire, and now he's trying to train or, like, tame it and control it. He's conditioning the vampire mm-hmm. so that he can he can use use him for his own purposes and that's been a subplot in these last few issues that we haven't kind of touched on uh that's true yeah we, we usually get about a page an issue where they kind of show what's going on with some of that and you know he, he has some sort of uh game plan in place but we're we're not privy to that information um until now it's starting to kind of become revealed um so in this issue we get a weakened dracula you know he's been weakened from this whole escapade on the transylvanian alps um he gets captured by dr sun's men and brought to his lair. Uh, Dr. Sun is finally revealed. He is a brain in a glass box hooked <laughs> up to computers. Yeah. Right. I got to tell you, Curtis, every time I see a character that's just a brain in a jar, I just, I love that. That is the one of the coolest images ever in comics, sci-fi movies, whatever. Um, just something <laughs> about it. <laughs> it reminds me of um, uh, Futurama. You ever watch that show? Yes. Uh, and there's the, oh, whole, yeah. the alien invasion and they're all brains. Yes. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, yeah, no, that's, th- th- this was a cool reveal because, you know, it's, it's visually interest, interesting, like right away. It's like, oh man, he's, he's, he's just a brain. Um, and so wait, look at this page, it's page 113 in this epic collection, the one where we see the brain in the glass, t- the glass box for the first time. Yeah. Look at the inking on this page. And this is what I mean by Tom Palmer being more faithful to Gene Colan's pencils. Right. It doesn't well, have and, nearly the same detail that Tom would normally put into something like this. It doesn't. And then just real quickly, if you jump to 139, uh, you see the brain rendered way better um, with proper shading. It's, it's got zipatone, so it's it's already got a grayscale to it. It looks way, way better um, rather than, you know, this chunk of Play-Doh floating in water <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at 113. Um, 
But uh, so basically, uh, with this issue, Doctor Sun, it's revealed, has actually resurrected Clifton Graves. Yeah. Um, which was, you know, early on, that was Frank Drake's buddy who became a familiar or whatever of Dracula for a long time, and I believe he left him to get blowed up on a boat. Yeah. Uh, or a yacht or something in um, in the first the, volume. Of, you know, first volume. Um, but he he sends the the resurrected Clifton Graves to go battle Dracula. Uh, who is beaten, and then Clifton Graves dies again, uh, this time by Rachel. Um, and then Dracula, Frank, and Rachel are all hit with an immob- immobility beam, and it's to be continued. <laughs> this is such uh, an so, odd issue because it's now science fiction. This is something that yes. we haven't experienced in Tomb of Dracula yet. It's all been kind of gothic horror or fantasy and all right. of a sudden we're talking about brains in boxes and immobility rays or immobility beams and stuff. Yep. Very strange. Yep. And, uh, it is, it is, uh, I, what was one other thing that I liked was on page one Oh nine. Um, Dracula is kind of hiding out before he's captured and he goes into this cave or cavern and he finds this massive, cache of treasure <laughs> right um and he has no care whatsoever of it. It, it it this is actually the one where he bites the uh drinks the blood of the the, the deceased guy right yeah uh his blood is foul stagnant its taste is bitter as if it's been poisoned uh <laughs> so it's just it was kind of interesting there's a whole bunch going on here in these two pages but it doesn't matter the least bit not only to our story but to dracula and he just moves on and any one of us who went in there for shelter and we found all that treasure we'd be thinking something different yeah totally <laughs> okay moving on to issue number 21 this one's called death knell it's the the culmination of everything that's been happening in the doctor son subplot that i think goes back to issue i don't know like i want to say 10 or 11 maybe i can't remember how far back but now we're on issue 20 it's if you're reading these monthly like this is a year of mm-hmm. building this subplot and now we we come to find out a little bit more of the origin of dr sun he yes. uh, he's a, a brilliant doctor and the general of communist China, I assume it's China. I don't know if they actually say. Um, or yeah, Sun, it's, it's, I think it's Japan. It's assumed, I think. It's it's yeah, it's it's one or the other. I I thought it was China. It isn't. It's Japan. Um, no, I guess you're right. It is. I think it is China. Um, but yeah, if it's communist, it's going to be China. I'm sure. Yeah. And so it. Uh, apparently what the plan was is the general is going to take his brain, hook up the brain to the computer and extract all of the secrets that he has in his brain so that they can use them for themselves. But they don't realize that once the brain is hooked up with the computer, the brain then takes over the computer and now he's Dr. Son of Living Brain or whatever. It's so yes. strange. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I love it. It's 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 fantastic. That's that's how you yeah. make a supervillain. You put a brain in a jar and hook it to a computer. Done deal. And it's so weird to have Dracula interacting with these people. Like I said, this is science fiction. It's so mm-hmm. out of place, I think, in this book, but it still kind of works. And Dracula himself, though, is involved because Dr. Sun wants to draw all of the power out of Dracula. I don't know what that means exactly. And transfer right. <laughs> it over into... Uh, the other guy, the other Dracula, or sorry, the other vampire that he's been taming. What's that guy's name? Um, 
Brand. Yeah, Brand. That's right. He wants to transfer it all over to Brand, and since he can control Brand, then he will be he will be able to control all of the vampires. Yeah, it's it's a little odd. It's almost convoluted because because the whole Brand thing makes no sense. Because then Brand turns on Doctor Sun because he's like, well, why do I need to control an army for you? Yeah. But then Doctor Sun expected that, so Doctor Sun teleports out of there and blows up the layer. <laughs> yes, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't understand what your end game was here. It, it doesn't, you know. I don't know. It's very, very odd. Um, but there's a yeah, there's a lot going on in this. Uh, I, I love, you know, like I said, I love the origin for Doctor Sun. Um, I actually really like the uh, little bit with Blade again. This time he he's leaving Harker and Taj because he's determined now to find the vampire that killed his mother. And from what I've been able to tell, this sets up another big kind of future plot that that introduces a, a major character and everything. So that's kind of exciting there as well. Um, I know that around this time, Blade will start to get his own monthly magazine as well. Vampire Tales? Oh no, that's Morbius. I'm thinking of. Never mind. Yeah, but is it Blade? The Blade does have black and white stories told somewhere. He does I somewhere. Thought. Yeah, and I don't know if it's around this time or if like because I think we don't we end up not seeing Blade for a little while in this mm-hmm. title, and I think I don't know if he goes off to his own thing. I should have researched that, figure that out. Right. Um, it's interesting to think that Doctor Sun is probably. Dracula's biggest enemy in his rogues gallery, like not including Frank or Harker, mm-hmm. because uh, from our reader perspective, they're the antagonists. They're the good guys trying to get Dracula. But then Dracula right. also is kind of the antagonist of his own book because it's Dracula. So the person who is opposed to Dracula, who's Dr. Sun, is the antagonist. And so we really don't have a rogues gallery for for Dracula, except for Doctor Sun, who's this major player over the last year behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Right, and uh, you know he he vows to return, um, or I don't know, does he actually vow for to return? I know that he escapes. Yep. So we know that he he's gone. Um, yeah, here we go. Make my next choice not be made so foolishly. So he's probably already got some more plans that, and so I assume we're going to see him again. Um, I hope so. It, and, and yeah, I mean, I think it's, I, 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 again, it makes this book kind of interesting because you have, like you said, you have Dracula who is played up as either our villain or kind of our character, our, you know, um, kind of our hero sometimes. And now we have, you know, nobody can possibly like Dr. Sun because he's a supervillain. So that's right. Interesting. Uh, moving on to issue number 22, it's called In Death Do We Join?, uh, this is this was a kind of a cool story because uh, it's focusing on characters. This is going back to kind of our original formula of checking in on some characters that, or, or sorry, being introduced to some characters and seeing how their lives are affected by Dracula. This farm girl in the middle of Russia is having nightmares that her estranged husband is attacking her, um, and she she thinks it's real. Uh, but her her parents don't think it's real. Um, apparently, this guy is a vampire, and he comes every night to suck her blood. And he has been sired years ago by Dracula, but Dracula, uh, he's got this beef with Dracula that they don't really get into. Um, but he, he says, I control this village. You just stay out of here. 
And so because of his impertinence, Dracula decides to kind of take matters into his own hands. Uh, at the same time, the villagers do this uprising and uh, they finally meet up with, uh, with the husband and try to get rid of him. And they actually set him on fire as a bat. And when he turns into a human, he's got like kind of a melted face and it's very, very cool at the end here. And he and yep. Dracula have this ultimate face-off in the cemetery afterwards when there's fire all around and these villagers with all of their torches and stuff. And eventually uh, Dracula wins and the, the guy burns up. And uh, at the end, the woman, um, we don't know if she is a vampire at the end or not, I think. But then the sun rises and she's still alive. So she hasn't turned into a vampire. Right. It, it's kind of a weird story. Uh, there's a lot of moving plots. There's a lot of different um, flashbacks back and forth. So if you're not paying attention, then yeah, it can be a little bit of a confusing story. I think uh, I think my main issue might have been because the cover shows off this this guy Gorda, Lord of the Living Lightning. You see him just almost like he's calling down lightning from the sky and then throwing it from his hands, and you know his face is all grotesque. And I was all excited about that. <laughs> and uh, that's not really no. in here that much, and it's not even explained either um, that much either. Yeah, why he's able to throw the lightning and. I don't know. I either I felt either I missed something, or I think the best part of this should have been expanded, or the focus of the bo- of the story. Um, but again, I, I may have you know, like you said, I if I wasn't paying attention with the various flashbacks, I probably got myself <laughs> lost. <laughs> uh, no, you're you're absolutely right. I don't know what the lightning has to do with anything. Um, the thing that stands out to me here is that I really feel like they really are trying to push the the idea of sucking blood is sort of like a sexual encounter. And in this case, right. this guy comes back and rapes his wife every night. Yeah. Yeah, that's disturbing and dark, especially when you put it that way. Yeah, very, very dark. <laughs> and, like, you can get past the code when you just say, you know, sucking blood because that's a fantasy kind of a, a, a deal. But right. there, there's also this couple, like, they, they pair at the very beginning – of uh, the of the vampire leaving his wife after he's you know let's say after he's raped her, and then it immediately goes to these two lovers in a barn and kind of if you kind of use the comparisons of like you know what they're doing in the barn mm-hmm. and compare it to what this guy's doing to his wife, I think it's intentional the the side by side comparison of those two acts. Yeah, no, I can I can agree with that. Yeah, because they they've always done that with with a lot of vampire or Dracula uh, movies, stories, uh, what have you. That yeah, it's it's almost like a sensual thing uh, with him drinking the blood and all that. So yeah, um, and I also like that this did take place kind of in Russia or USSR. Like the the book has those kind of globe hopping moments which is, uh, I think, another thing that you could keep this kind of fresh um, going forward here. So I'm curious what, where else Dracula actually goes in his, uh, in his story. There's some continuity issues here because there's one scene where Harker and the team are all kind of gathered around and they're talking about stuff that's happening in an issue we haven't read yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like mm. these those two stories kind of take place at the same time or something like that. I don't know, but uh, they make reference to the daughter of Dracula, whom we haven't met yet. And they make, they make, this is on page 155. They also make note of the fact that Taj has disappeared, which also won't happen until the next issue. 
So my question was, why did they put this issue here? Why didn't they put the giant size issue before this? Because as far as the main story is concerned, it's it's a one-off deal. Uh, it doesn't have any real continuity issues here. It's just that one page. There is what I noticed with the uh, – and that issue you're talking about is giant size chillers number one where we're introduced to the daughter of Dracula – they must have just dropped at the same time, yeah. Or the plan was for that to happen because I noticed this also with um, Tomb of Dracula twenty three. They have references about it, and then uh, somewhere I know that there was there was also some confusion there. It's almost like you have to read them at the exact same time. Um, yeah, Gi- giant size chillers and uh, the very first page of issue twenty three. They happen seconds apart. They have to yes. be paired together, so you can't put giant size chillers before this issue here, uh, number twenty-two. Right. But then it can't also like because you'd have to put issue twenty-three and giant size chillers together. You can't have anything interrupting them. So there, no matter where you place these, there's going to be a continuity mm-hmm. issue. So this is kind of the best the best solution right here right it's almost you would have to kind of mentally break up the actual pages of the individual issues to kind of get over that part of it yeah but then of course we have this giant size spider-man number one that's right which features dracula which is which is next in line here but this deals with him not you know uh he's in a totally different location now he's uh he's got a whole different story obviously it's not uh, part of the Tomb of Dracula, it's a, it's, a, it's more Spider-Man, but it, it almost messes up the continuity further if you think too hard on where, <laughs> yeah. why is Dracula even in the story? But clearly, this was probably a, a, a money decision because you know Dracula is doing very well. Clearly, Spider-Man is. Yep. Uh, so yeah. So, well, now we're talking about it. So, Giant Size Spider-Man number one, uh, July 1974. Um, this is called Ship of Fiends. And this is, I think, the first time me and you get to talk about a Spider-Man in a Spider-Man story. Yeah, I guess so. So this is exciting. This is basically <laughs> used as a Marvel team-up annual. The, yes. Yeah, all of the, I think there's only four giant-sized Spider-Man issues, and the, he teams up with a different Marvel hero in each one of these issues. Yeah, complete with the first page at the top, the banner, you know, Stanley presents, and this is Spidey and Dracula together. That's right. And that's how so many of those Marvel team-ups where they always had the, you know, together at the top. Um, this story, uh, it's it's obviously, it's a giant size, so it's it's double double the page count. Uh, basically, we got, a, we got a few different things going on. There's an eccentric reclusive doctor known as A.J. Maxfield uh, on the SS Wendell, uh, which are basically, it's basically a ship heading for the state's and it has a special flu vaccine. Uh, Peter Parker, who is also Spider-Man, I'm not sure if anybody knew that, um, <laughs> uh, he needs this vaccine to, of course, save an ailing Aunt May. Because once again, Aunt May is sick. You know, surprise, yeah. surprise. Well, it says here also um, on the very spl- first uh, splash page, there's a there's a newspaper that floats by that says there's a flu epidemic right now. Yes, which yeah, that that was nice. So it's it's not completely out of left field, but man, Aunt May, she's got nine lives and then some. <laughs> uh, we have a ex magia uh, known as Anthony Cavelli, the Whisperer. Um, he wants this vaccine as well because he wants to use it to trade it for a pardon to be allowed back in the United States. And then our uh, Dracula, he wants to kill AJ Maxfield. 
uh, and destroy this vaccine because we're just told that it poses a threat to his future plans, which that's not really figured out at all. So I don't know what future plans he has that he would need more people dead from a flu. I'm not sure how that exactly plays out. You would think he would want people to be cured of the flu so that he has more people to feed off of. It seems like he's got some sort of other motive. I found this to be an incredibly lame excuse to have Dracula (laughs) in this story. It was a very non-defined reason. I mean, there there could have been, he could have been on there just to maybe because he had uh, one of his coffins was there and he just wanted to make sure it, it had safe travel or something. It could have been, that would have made way more sense if he was being like low profile. Yeah. But anyway, every, you know, so he's going after AJ Maxfield. Spidey gets to the ship in order to also get to AJ Maxwell. And then you got the Whisperer, the Ex Magia guy. He's trying to get, so AJ Maxfield is like the MacGuffin pretty much. That's, that's what we're trying. We're trying to get to, to him. Um, or so we're led to believe is a him. I thought that that was 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 a pretty good, good twist. Yeah. Nice twist there. That, that was nice. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of moving parts here. Uh, Len Wein, we didn't mention. He's the guy that wrote this. Uh, I, I think he did a great job balancing this out. I, I think so, really too. Liked, um, I also really liked how Spidey even gets to the ship. Uh, really cool. Goes to the Fantastic Four for help. Uh, we get to see, you know, him and Torch's friendship, which is always, in my opinion, a delight because they almost have that, you know, uh, they kind of bust each other's chops and stuff like that. So So I thought that was really cool. Um, I'm always down to see those two. And he basically gets to use a Fantastic Four vehicle to fly out to the ship. So I thought that was very nice of Johnny to let him use that. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I was a little disappointed with Dracula's involvement in this since this is part of the Dracula Complete Collections. If I was reading this in a Spider-Man Complete Collection or a Spider-Man Epic Collection, then I I would be fine with his involvement here. But because... This is a Dracula specific book that we're reading. I right. was just like, you take him <laughs> out of the story, and he and nothing changes. There's there's really no purpose to him right. being here whatsoever. He makes no impact on the all. story. No, this was a Spider-Man story all day long, and and I enjoyed it for that. Uh, but yes, um, Dracula was a, a marquee character just to get you know maybe horror fans to buy this comic. Yeah. Uh, he has a couple of cool moments. You know, there's a shot where bullets go right through his body. Uh, he does some mind control. Uh, some of that stuff is pretty neat, but it's also, like you said, it's it's completely inconsequential to anything to do with the plot or the storyline uh, pretty much whatsoever. Yeah. On what page 175, there is another scene of Dracula um, sucking the blood from a woman here. Her name is Elvira Kaufman. I like also how every single one of his victims is named in this book. The writers always go out of their way to name Mm -hmm. the women and to give them a little bit of a backstory before they die. And in this one, I feel like this is another example of this bloodsucking being a sexual encounter because he goes Mm -hmm. to suck her blood. And what does she say? She just says, please be gentle. Yeah. It's a very odd thing to even say there. You know, she's not fighting for her life. She's not trying to get away from him. Yeah. It's kind of like, I feel like this is dialogue you'd see in a movie with someone who is, you know, it's their first time or something like that. Right. Right. Well, what else is funny on this whole sequence? So Peter Parker comes rushing up on her limp form 
and her glasses are completely smashed next to her. <laughs> the only way that could have happened is before he turned into a bad Dracula just stepped up. Yeah, I think like, I think he did. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> yeah, like, there's no reason to smash her glasses. Nope. <laughs> but uh, I thought that was funny too. But uh, but yeah. So again, I agree. It's overall, it's a it's a it is a good story. It's a very good Spider-Man story. It's it has all those things that we have, and just basically this. You know, Peter Parker freaking out, being like, well, "Wait a minute, there, I'm dealing with a vampire as well. What what's going on here?" So it's 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 a little odd. I, this probably could have been more just a Spidey Human Torch story and and left it at that. Yeah, and and maybe it was at some point. Who knows if this is a story that it came out of the inventory filing cabinet and they're like, "Okay, uh, it's it was Torch, but let's switch Torch for Dracula." <laughs> Let's put them in here. Right. Well, and to actually, to further your claim that this was basically utilized as a Marvel team-up annual, um, this whole thing in the beginning where Spidey takes on these uh, these this jewel thief, but the guy gets away and, and Spidey's like, what the heck just happened there? When he goes to the Baxter building and talks with, with Johnny, it actually sets up um, on page 168. Uh, Roy Thomas has a little aside. He goes, and if you think that's a subtle, come on, Tiger, pick up Marvel team-up number 23, right. and you'll see how right you are. Because yep. he basically told Torch, hey, if you want to go and figure this out, that would be awesome. He's like, I think I'll do that. And that's a Iceman story, I think. Yeah, his team-up with Iceman. I, I remember that. That, that one's that collected in um, X-Men Epic Collection number four. Oh, very nice. Okay. Yeah, that's right, because this is 74. This the giant size X-Men hadn't dropped yet. Yep. Cool. Okay, so we continue on to giant size chillers, number one. Yes. Let's go back to our Dracula podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is a big story that has a, a, a few different subplots. There's, there's a story about a castle that Dracula is trying to commandeer uh, for himself. It belongs to this woman named Sheila Whittier. And the castle is apparently haunted, and and this this ghost or whatever it is, is is abusing this poor woman every single night that she sleeps there, and she's been there for about a month. She inherited it, it herself. Um, the other story it concerns uh, the the daughter of Dracula, who is now kind of ri- risen from the grave. Uh, she apparently was dead for a while or something, but she's come back, and she is possessed the the body of this woman who's being abused by her father because the father's angry that she got married. And so through this all, uh, Dracula has to, I guess, face his daughter, whom they don't have a very good relationship, apparently. Mm-hmm. And and the and Lilith, the daughter, it kills Harker at, at some point. And there's just a it just jumps back and forth between these kind of two plot lines. And we're not exactly sure what we're supposed to take from Lilith, I, I don't exactly know what they're trying to set up here because she just kind of disappears. And I thought she was going to be a major player, f- like setting up stuff that's going to happen in the main series here. But mm-hmm. she just kind of goes away. Do you know if she comes back at all and, and plays any bigger roles? I haven't looked ahead to find out. I didn't want to spoil yeah, myself, I. so I couldn't say. But I thought it was kind of a wasted opportunity because they make a big deal, especially on the cover, yes. saying like, look at this. This is mm-hmm. the the daughter of Dracula. Like, this is a big deal. And then it's just like, it, she doesn't even do a whole lot in this no. story. 
Well, I like um, page 198, her reveal, her first appearance panel. That, that is just an awesome shot. Yeah. Uh, she's got kind of a glimmer of evil on her face, which is such an odd thing to try to draw. <laughs> and yet Jean Colin pulls it off where very menacing looking. Um, she she has quite an interesting history because they get into how she became uh, his daughter. And it's basically – it has to do with gypsies and yeah. they take this daughter and they're the ones that actually turn her into a vampire. And this is why Dracula doesn't, I mean, it's, it's showcased. He does not care for her. Yeah. In fact, page 209, absolutely brutal. She goes to her father. Can it be, you don't care about your favorite daughter. And he just looks at her and says, nor have I for 500 years. Oh, That's man. just a great line. And it's just so it's like, dang, man. <laughs> um, but uh, but then and on the flip side of things, you actually see him showing sympathy for Sheila Whitt- Whittier. Yeah, I was going to mention that, too. It, they have an interesting relationship. It's like, why mm-hmm. does he care about this girl right now? I mean, all he wants is her castle. And right. she just happens to be there and he was going to get rid of her. But as soon as he found out that she was being abused by some other forces, he has this 180 and mm-hmm. and now again, like like in that first one where he plays detective, now he wants to figure out the mystery. Uh, right. Yes. And I, I think just like that issue Snowbound in Hell with uh, with Rachel, I feel like we see a little bit of his humanity. I think it, you know, he has sympathy for her and, and uh, maybe it has something to do with his, you know, actual daughter reappearing um, that he knows he doesn't like her, but maybe he does. I don't know. It's, it's really hard to say with, with this character. And I think that's part of the, the, you know, it's done on purpose. You know, we're not yeah. supposed to, cause then, then you're going to start really caring about Dracula and he kills people all the time. So, you know, it's kind of hard to do that. Um, but uh, another big thing that happens in this issue is Taj leaves. Right. Um, I know that you you said that they actually mentioned that in issue 22. This is where they show it. And it's not really revealed why he leaves, right? He just leaves? He gets a, Does he get a letter? I can't remember. He gets a letter, and we don't really find out what it's about, but he just goes. Right. So, so we lose a member of the team there. Um, you know, Harker... It's also revealed Harker was the guy that killed Lilith, uh, the daughter of Dracula, 30 years ago. And I think, you know, she's obviously upset by that as well, but clearly she was. And that's another thing that's weird with her. She's reborn through the death of a daughter who was being mistreated. I I find that kind of odd, but it must tie into her gypsy origin, uh, you know, the magics that had to do with her actual becoming a vampire. Hmm. Right. But it was. Okay. Yeah. It's, I didn't make it's that not like we saw a body uh, come out of a tomb. You know, uh, pulling a stake out of her corpse or anything. That yeah. none of that happened. She nope. just almost like inhabited the body of a different. It was very kind of I don't know unnecessarily confusing. <laughs> yeah, definitely a different concept than regular Dracula, which makes her a more mysterious character. Mm-hmm. Because we know everything about vampires now, because vampires have been talked about so much over the years but Lilith is a different story which is why I'm like why isn't she carrying through the rest of these issues here like Mm -hmm. she should have been a major player but maybe she will be let's all hope that uh, we'll see her come about in one of these other volumes yes all right so we go back to Tomb of Dracula the regular series we're on to issue 23 this is called Shadows in the Night and this is where we find out what is going on with this castle that Dracula wants, Dunwick Castle, uh, where Sheila lives. Um, 
the haunting is continuing. You know, she's an absolute wreck having to live in this house, uh, as you could imagine. You know, she's constantly getting pushed and poked and prodded and and just messed with. Um, and basically, what happens is it's revealed that the hauntings are caused by the spirit of her uncle, Alistair Dunwick. But then it's further revealed that Alistar is actually her father, and he wants to sacrifice her soul to his master, which is never delineated on who his master is, but clearly it's some sort of evil, I don't know, demonic force of some sort. Um, you know, Dracula, you know, comes into the book a little later. He returns from feeding, and he sees what's going on, and he actually destroys Dunwick's corpse, um, which then banishes his spirit to hell, they, they tell us. So it's it's uh, basically your standard haunted house story. You know, there's a bunch of dead bodies in the basement of other women or victims that this Dunwick guy had sacrificed to whatever his dark master was. And now he's trying to do it to his own daughter. I mean, a real, real piece of work, this guy. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that this was kind of a cool story, actually. I, I enjoyed yeah. I enjoyed the, the mystery and the uncovering of it. And this the the body, his own corpse covered in gold at the bottom also reminded me again of that first issue we talked about with the other guy um, who had the sign, Don't, do, do not bury him again. It all yeah. has this theme of, you know, uh, these ghosts are at, they're not, they can't find final rest until mm-hmm. something happens. Which, uh, you know, is, is usually a trope of the, you know, the hauntings and yeah. things of that nature. But, but, I mean, this guy was, was, I mean, this guy was basically an evil guy. So you, you, you got to imagine it was pretty, pretty crazy in that house with whatever his hauntings were. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I also want to say this cover is one of the better covers, too, to issue 23. I love this cover so much. I think it's, is this Gil Kane? Uh, it does it, look like it, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I just thought this was, but it's. Most of these covers, I don't think we ever really mentioned, most of these Tomb of Dracula covers really are either misleading or not quite having anything to do with the story. I think they're just images to try to get people to buy a book about Dracula. For sure. Um, But I did like how when the corpse of Alistair Dunwick is destroyed by Dracula, we see his ghost basically just melts into a (laughs) steaming pile of goo. Uh, it's awesome. <laughs> that was a really cool uh, visual. Um, and I love the dialogue at the end here with Dracula as he's confronting the, the ghost. Because the ghost says, um, if I am to serve the dark gods, I must be intact. I must be whole. And then Dracula says, then Satan will have to do without you, ghost, for your time here is over. And and then the, the ghost keeps on saying, you know, you're a child of hell as I am. And I love this response. I am Dracula, ghost. I am a greater hell than any you could ever imagine. <laughs> Total badass. Yep. Just sitting there, hugging the guy's daughter, watching him turn into goo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. I love that. Me too. I think it's great. Uh, we have a different anchor in this issue, I think. Let me just double check this. Uh, oh, no, it's Palmer. Oh, yeah, no, it's the previous issue, the giant size one. It was still Gene Colon, but it was a Frank Chiaramonte who was doing the inking on the, the giant size chillers. And then, yes. yeah. And then we get back to Tom Palmer and, um, and he's, you can see the difference between the two inkers. Uh, mm-hmm. even though Tom Palmer has amended his style a little bit in these issues, he still is, uh, it still, still has a much more of a gritty kind of a gloomy atmosphere than what we saw in the giant size chillers. Right. 
Well, moving on from that, we now go to Giant Size Dracula number two, which took over the numbering from Giant Size Chillers. Uh, I imagine just because the name Dracula probably sells better. Yep. Um, so this is an interesting story uh, written by Chris Claremont. Yes. Uh, and drawn by Don Heck, uh, a good old dependable Don Heck from uh, from Marvel throughout the 60s. Um, this is called Call Them Triad, Call Them Death. Uh, basically, we get a little uh, little bit of Inspector Kelm or Chelm, however you pronounce that. Um, he's investigating murders, uh, and he believes Dracula is the prime suspect. He's doing this with a woman named Kate Fraser, who is revealed to be a psychometric where basically she has this ability to touch an object or a person and she gets the history uh, basically flood into her brain. Um, so she's helping out him because of her ability to do this. Uh, but the murders are actually being committed by cultists who are trying to revive what's known as the triad, which we only get told that they are elder gods. You know, the the, the blanket statement of that, there's no real delineation on that. Um Dracula gets involved because he is still thought to be dead all this time um, for the past several issues. Anyway, I guess we haven't really mentioned that in a while, but since the doctor's son stuff, that's right. Okay. So he wants to still maintain that low profile. So he's getting involved in this. Cause he's like, listen, if people are going to think I'm doing this again, you know, my enemies are going to find out um, the leader of this cult is known as Yagaron. Uh, who also says that he's one of those elder gods, and he captures Dracula, um, but then Dracula gets out and he stops the cult. So, again, it's another one of these double-sized issues. Um, we're dealing with very much, you know, these dark occult themes uh, back to the kind of mysticism and, and creepiness rather than the sci-fi. Uh, however, this Kate Fraser character, she's a mutant. Yeah. Uh, which is cool and incredibly uh, subtle, but if you're reading it properly, you're, you're, you, she even has a little bit of self-loathing that she, you know, these powers make her a freak. And uh, obviously, with Chris Claremont drawing, and this is, you know, writing at, le- at least a few years before his his run uh, really gets going. So that's true. I thought yeah, that was, I thought that was really interesting. And I, from what I've read online, he actually uses her a couple more times in other stories. Oh, that's good. That's great. Yeah. Chris Claremont wrote a good story, but I don't think he wrote a good Dracula. I found uh, that I'll agree with that. His Dracula came off more like Doctor Doom than Dracula. Just kind of pompous and mm-hmm. over the top in the way he talked and, and spoke to people and such. None of the same subtleties that Marv Wolfen had been giving him in in these issues. Yeah, I, I definitely would agree with that. And I mean, he, he he's definitely it's definitely a Dracula story, but yeah, he is. Um... It's it's a little bit of a departure from not only the writing but clearly the art. You know, Don Heck's style is is much more simplistic, and I don't think he does a bad job here. I just think with what he gives the inker to work with, you know, there's not a ton of detail already. So we get a lot of what I think kind of end up looking like stiff figures. Yep. We, we we don't get that moodiness and and creepiness that certainly Gene Colan is so good at. Um, it almost feels like a Doctor Strange story of the same time period, really. Okay, yeah. Uh, okay, so at the beginning of this episode, I mentioned that in this one, there is a, a, a brutal death scene that I wanted to point out. Yes. On page 255, Dracula punches a person through a brick wall headfirst. <laughs> 
Yes. And the dialogue here, Paul Kramer dies instantly, his skull smashed to a bloody paste, every bone in his body pulverized. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty brutal. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and it, it's funny because the his the the look of him bursting out of the brick wall. I mean, it's it, almost it, comical. It is because he looks like he's just being thrown, like he's throwing a spear or something. Right. But yeah, uh, like a human torpedo. It's that is it is funny. But uh, yeah, that's it's kind of like the last one where the the caption really makes it that much more crazy than yeah. than how it's drawn. Absolutely. All right. I do don't really have too much more to say with this. We get some references to to more of Dracula's history in here, uh, which is from obviously the Black and White magazine. We start getting a little taste of these elder gods. We get these weird tentacles coming out of a portal, uh, all of which is really kind of neat. But I feel like with a different artist, it would have been more compelling. Yeah. Yeah. You think think of like some of like Frank Brunner's like covers for those yeah. Doctor Strange. I mean, man, he really probably could have done something really awesome, uh, because you know this is very Lovecraftian. You deal with elder gods. You deal with, you know, the old ones, things of that nature. And yeah, it's it, it's a little bit more superhero-y than I think. Works well, yeah. Here. You I, get this elder god at the end here. Uh, on page 263, I mean, look at his outfit. It looks like it's a bad supervillain costume. Yes. Like, it's terrible. Um, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's just awful. And and so, and then there's also the part where Dracula is now mistaking uh, Kate as mm-hmm. Maria. Which is his... Which uh, is his late wife from, right, like, from hundreds of years ago. 500 years ago. <laughs> and so that part is interesting to me because he's starting to have these kind of hallucinations and such, but they don't really explore it. And because this is written by Chris Claremont rather than Marv Wolfman, I'm not sure that they'll ever really touch on that again. Yeah. It doesn't seem like that was Marv's plan was to really do that because I mean, maybe we see it in future. You know, we're not looking ahead, but uh, yeah, yeah, it it almost does seem more like a Dr. Doom thing because he would have, you know, done something like that, especially, you know, because he's obsessed with his mom and everything else. Like you could see him doing something like that, but, Dracula, it seems a little out of place here. Unless it does get followed up on, then it might be interesting. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see, I guess. Mm-hmm. As far as the next issue concern is concerned, issue number 24, it is not followed up on, but we can talk about 24 anyway. Absolutely. Um, I like this cover here, especially with the dialogue. The mirror, you don't yeah. cast a reflection. Who are you? I am your death. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool stuff. Mm-hmm. This issue is called A Night for the Living, A Morning for the Dead. And this follows uh, a, st- a character called Trudy. I can't remember if we've met Trudy before or not, but she seems to be a friend of Blade and knocks on Blade's door because she's having problems. She says she's being stalked by a vampire. And so Blade's like, okay, I got this. And <laughs> and then goes to try and track down this this vampire, we find out that it is actually Dracula, but Dracula stays in bat form almost the entire time so that he doesn't give away his secret identity. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a fantastic fight between Blade and the bat. Yes. It's very, very cool, just the action that they're able to portray there. Um, And then the other part of the story is that we get to see Frank again. Frank and Rachel, we haven't seen them for several issues here. Frank, now that he thinks Dracula is dead, has no more reason to live, apparently. And he's going to, he's thinking of um, suicide. Is he thinking of suicide? I think he's just, he went to the place of his previous attempt at suicide back in issue three. But I think he's more or less just thinking my life doesn't have 
purpose. I need to figure out what that right, is. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's right. He he references the suicide from those early issues, yeah. but he's not going to do it again. And I think the the reason why is because he now has Rachel. Uh, and so even yeah. though he has no purpose, he at least has a companion. Yeah, and he leaves, which is uh, another turning point for the book, I'm sure. Uh, there's another cast member that is, you know, I'm sure we'll see him again, but he's got to figure this out. So, he, you know, our cast kind of gets split up. What I liked about this issue is the jumping around to our cast. We needed an issue like this to just, okay, let's let's all catch our breath. Let's figure out where all of the, the players are on, yeah. the, on the chessboard. Everyone is scattered. Yeah, and then it'll help set the stage now for whatever Marv Wolfman has in store for us in his next chunk of, of issues. And I, you know, I know Claremont did this with X-Men quite often and Avengers did this. Any of those team books would do this where you get a whole bunch of crazy stuff happening for a number of issues, but you get that breather issue. And I love those because, okay, let's all decompress a little bit. And that's kind of what this was because um, we also see Taj again. Taj is in India and he randomly smacks his wheelchair bound wife and leaves. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, what, what the heck is that all we, about? What, yeah. We think he we've always thought he's a very loyal noble person. Yeah. But then all of a sudden we find out that he's not only just left his wife but also his infant child to go and be in America and now he's you know mistreating his wife. Yeah. He's uh, almost and, annoyed that he had to go back to India for whatever reason we still don't know. Yeah. But so but that seems to bother mystery. him. Yeah, we don't know. That, and that's that's really interesting to to get a some character development on him because he's mm. kind of been a one note character up until now. True. He's the strong guy that doesn't talk. And quite yeah. honestly, we haven't seen much of him in this volume at all. We, no, we've got we really a haven't. couple panels here and there, and I, I think we're building up towards some sort of story with him here. But uh, yeah, it's 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 very odd. Um, one of the talking about this the the first couple pages here. Uh, they they mentioned how so Tuma Dracula issue three was when Frank attempted his suicide when he first met Rachel and Taj. Yep. They reference they say how it's been three years that so between issue uh, three and issue twenty four within the continuity of the book it's been three whole years. <laughs> wow. So it doesn't feel like that and that kind of goes back to that you know note of you know this happened between issues so. You know, there's there is stuff going on over the course of this. So I mean, it's it's kind of a large time jump for only what twenty one issues. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, and the other thing I really wanted to mention was because this this particular issue really does feel like a blade issue. And man, I tell you, once you start reading page two seventy two through two seventy three, I mean, you could hear the Shaft theme song playing. You know, <laughs> blade. He kills a vampire, then he goes makes whoopee with his lady. I mean, this is awesome. <laughs> he's just doing his thing, man. It's great. And he's just a total badass about it. And, you know, his friend who, who comes running here, who must be some sort of a – I'm thinking she's a burlesque dancer or something. I mean, yep. she runs all the way to his apartment in her bra and panties and a trench coat. I mean, this just screams 70s, oh, totally. you know. Oh, it's great! I, I, I just, <laughs> I just love that stuff, man. It's so cool. I, I get the same vibe when I'm reading Luke Cage. It's, those old '70s issues are so well done, and you can just see it happening, like on the big screen with that theme song and everything else. I think that this is definitely a turning point for the series because Dracula. If you look at the last page, the very last page, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm actually just looking there. Yep. If you, it, it, I love how they how Gene Colan has divided this up with a thick, um, a thick white gutter right right down the middle. Yep. And so we have the three panels of Dracula going to sleep. He's still with Sheila Whittier in his in her castle. He's going to sleep, and at the same time we have Frank saying goodbye to uh, to Rachel to figure out a new thing. So it's like this this one page here tells us that. Um, a new day is coming mm-hmm. because Dracula is going to to rest, which we don't often see him actually go into his tomb and go to sleep. Right. So the fact that we're seeing him go to sleep here and it's closing the issue um, at the, as the same time as Frank walking off into the sunset says things are definitely going to change right here. And then in the next issue blurb, it says introducing a shocking new star. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're we're it at almost, a turning point here. It almost makes you want to keep reading. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I understand why they put the breaking point here. I mean, mm-hmm. I haven't read the next stuff, but I can tell just from right. this issue here, this is why this is the final issue of the regular series in this book. In this in this particular in question, this yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, to, uh, just to make mention of it, Dracula. Is, so he's living at the Dunwick Castle. He's living with Sheila. He's not feeding on her. And she still has no idea he's a vampire or, or or basically, you know, the embodiment of evil living in in this castle with her. So that's all very interesting that that's still going on. Yeah. And I also wanted to make mention that the great fight between Blade and basically Dracula, who stayed in a giant bat form, they're smashing all the hell a sporting goods store. And Dracula gets away and the cops arrive and Blade just walks away. And the <laughs> yeah, cops right. don't stop him. Like you just caused a lot of damage on, you know, private property or public property, whatever. <laughs> uh, I was like, well, he must be good with the London cops that, you know, they didn't bother booking him or anything. Yeah, they he even they they even say, so you don't know who attacked you? Um, yeah, man, yeah. I got no idea. I'm just <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah. well, not much we can do then. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, all right. Well, see you later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um. Well, I did want to mention, so I, I, I kind of try to keep a tally on just death in these issues. Um, I might be a couple numbers off here because sometimes they're a little uh, amorphous. They don't really come out and tell you that this person died. But it looks like we got about 34 deaths this time around. Whoa. Plus, plus we got those two goats. <laughs> so let's not forget about the goats. Let's the goat have a death. moment of silence for the goats. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, we get more goats in future issues. The goat—I don't think the goat death is going to rise uh, very quickly. <laughs> gonna, I'll be paying attention. Okay, no, I bet no. you will. <laughs> we'll have an issue where forty goats die. Watch. Oh man. <laughs> okay, well, you know that does it for our for our episode today. Uh, this was another good batch of Tomb of Dracula issues. I think kind of really the only stinkers were some of those giant size ones. Yeah. Yep. The ones that just stray from. The formula that other people are doing, or or ones that just don't have real ties to continuity. So the but the regular series is moving along at a great pace, and I'm very uh, eager to see what happens in volume three. Yeah, and it seems like they're releasing these complete collections pretty much one a year around October ish. Yep. Um. So I mean, they they're probably going to have this thing completely reprinted in its entirety. Uh, within the next couple of years, which I mean, that's 
That's good. I know. I know. Volume one is out of print. It's been out of print for a while, but I, I feel like they're going to have to get back to it if there's still more volumes of this series to go. Tomb of Dracula seems like one of those evergreen titles for Marvel. They they will find new ways to repackage it. The uh, the the Omnis went out of print mm-hmm. and were in very high demand, and they reprinted them, and they went, okay. and now they're in high demand again. And so, I think that we will see, hopefully, see these complete collections stay in print because it seems like they are. Uh, some of Marvel's best stuff, and Marvel's really proud of it. Yeah, I think so, and and yeah, I look forward to you know. I know a lot of people on our on the on the Facebook group. They're always you know, chat, oh man, I wish Volume One would be in print. There, there's yeah. just within our group of people. There's there's a there's people clamoring for it. So hopefully. Speaking of that Facebook group, you can search for Marvel Epic Collection, or what do we call it? Epic Collection Obsession and Admiration and other stuff. If you search that in <laughs> Facebook, it's got a really long title. Uh, you can join our group where we talk about Epic Collections all day and have a great time. Uh, you can also visit us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and uh, if you just search for Epic Marvel Podcast, we're there. And you can also find me on YouTube now, my special brand new uh YouTube uh, YouTube channel where I'm also posting these podcast episodes along with uh, some other new videos. Um, but that'll do us for today. Thanks again, Josh, for joining me for another episode of uh, of the podcast and talking about Tomb of Dracula. Absolutely, yeah. This was a blast, and I look forward to uh, whenever we get around to the next one. We'll probably keep it our Holly- Halloween tradition. I think so. I think we will. <laughs> <laughs> See you next Halloween. <laughs> All right. See you, everybody. Bye.